welcome to the Vimon podcast. My name is Christiane, and with us here today, we have one of our most colorful characters, Stein Erik, fresh from the plane from the US. How's the jet lag treating you? No, it's good. I'm on two hours of sleep or something like that, yeah. so I should <laughs> ramble on and make no sense. That and sounds so this good. Should be good. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, what major trends are you seeing in the industry today, Stein Erik? I think it it depends. I mean, given that we're a global company, we see different trends in different regions. Um, specifically, from my side, where I spend a lot of my time in the U.S., you know, we see now uh, what's emerging as a very crowded space uh, in SVOD from a lot of big companies. Um, you know, we have Disney Plus entering the fray. We have HBO Max, which is the consolidated Turner, Time Warner properties, AT&T properties. You know, we, we continue to have Hulu and Amazon and Netflix, um, as well as others, right? So we see, at least in that space, it's it's heavy competition. Uh, there's an increased, like, siloing of content, right? So there's exclusivity. There's very specific content for each. So we're going into this phase where, you know, before it was relatively simple with where you got your streaming services, right? It was... For a bit, uh, a bit of an augmentation to your cable services, there were cord cutters jumping over, but you know you had a, a pretty much a good coverall with Netflix and Amazon and some other things. Um, but now we're seeing, you know, with Disney taking back the Marvel content, the Disney specific content, um, you know, even things like Friends, which was a big staple of uh, Netflix, right? We're seeing those move to very specific services, you know, and, and in some ways we see a bit of a recre uh, recreation of the TV model, right? We're getting different channels for different consumer types, different content types. Um, and, and so it, it's becoming a bit split. So we'll see a lot of heavy competition for users. They're going to compete on price. They're going to compete, you know, as Disney's going out now with, um, you know, in their base package, they're going with 4K UHD, right? So they're, they're finding ways to compete with each other and um, differentiate themselves, both in the content. You know, we're, we had this age where, you know, Netflix was driven heavily by very unique originals and that type of content. Um, and, and that may change. They'll continue to produce their own content, but even they're looking to create more of a TV type schedule rather than a pure uh, binge type of experience, which is which is what we were used to in the past. What's your thoughts on uh, going back to the more uh, traditional way of uh, distributing and um, promoting content? Yeah, I think... I think there's there's a couple of good aspects that will come out of it. I think from from just my view overall on it, um, it's a bit sad where we potentially could go with this. Mm. You know, we're seeing more and more AVOD type channels coming out, and that makes sense to reach people who don't want to pay if you want to get your content out there. Um, but it's reintroducing something that, um, at least on the premium side, if you're paying for it, it's reintroducing advertising into uh, streaming experience, which had gone away, right? And, you know, we're, we're returning a bit to this cable model and, and this TV model. You know, ads made sense, um, you know, for a couple of reasons in traditional broadcast TV, uh, where you're giving content away free, you just have a tuner and that sort of thing. You need a way to kind of finance your content acquisitions. You think like we'll that. see... Um uh, merge of SVOD and AVOD. Yeah, I think I think all of these and Netflix even speculated that you know they may or may not introduce a, a lower tier at a lower cost with more ads. You know, Hulu has you know different service levels and different plans that you could buy in on. Some that have more ads, and then as you pay more for a premium, you can turn those off. Mm. Um, you know, we we also see you know there's there's different types of streaming that are being introduced. You know, there's 
you know, just traditional find a title, binge it, view it. Um, and, you know, more and more we see also these types of concepts like the MVPDs that have gone out there, which are more like a traditional cable bundle. They're just using streaming technologies to deliver it to the end consumer. Um, but with those come kind of more traditional viewing experiences. And what we're seeing now a lot in the U.S. and, you know, people can question whether this is good or not, but it, it's a more tra traditional model is, you know, we're seeing... Uh, a return or a desire at least for linear type channels mm. right and so taking what's a traditional consumer experience in viewing content and pushing it out to streaming so we'll see you know these these different providers give some sort of you know linear type of experience which w may blend you know their news their news sendings where they own the news properties a lot of these big conglomerates have you know news divisions sports divisions and then you know the the content um and premier kind of quality video that they create. Um, but we'll see that type of blend. We'll see, you know, sports being part of that package. Um, you know, what's interesting in this is that you have the ability now moving towards a kind of true uh, linear experience uh, on OTT platforms. You can do that a lot more cheaply. You can do that in the cloud. You can create um, and some of the economics still have to get worked out, but you can create, you know, linear channels based on user preferences. You know, it was something we did very early on with uh, Reuters and creating kind of, you know, taking VOD clips, stitching them together uh, for an end user experience that allows you to kind of view it as linear, but it's personalized. Mm. Um, and so I think you'll start to see a lot of that. You know, some of that will be driven by just rules or editorial kind of control. Right. Uh, and then some of it will be driven by, you know, machine learning and AI that's learning things about either the user or the content type. Mm. And you'll start to see kind of personal channels for you. Um, I think there's a big debate in this area and you you can see it, you know, with, with uh, developers and people that, uh, especially of younger generations, you know, they, they, they've grown up without TV, right? Mm. They're, they're accessing content on YouTube, they're watching esports, they're on Twitch, they're watching people on there. And for them, the idea of like linear TV is very dead or at least distant. And, um, you know, they like to find what they like, they like to view that. Um, but for more traditional, I guess, aging demographics and things like that, that's an experience they're used to. And so as they leave traditional cable, as they move away from you know, more broadcast and things like that and move to OTT, I think that experience fits at least uh, a certain part of the demographic. But what's your thought on linear TV? Do you think it will slowly just die or? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, I think the business exists to create it now. And I think you'll see a pr proliferation of it for a certain time period. But mm. I, I think, you know, in five to 10 years, it'll be gone, yeah. um, especially as kind of the, the current generation that views that and as the baby boomers die off and kind of uh, Gen X and Y and Z and whatever else we have now, it's um, their, their viewing patterns will shift. So it's it's a bit to appease, you know, people that are leaving cable to give them that type of experience. And then, you know, there's a, there's the economics of it, right? For mm. traditional broadcasters and people used to that type of model, for used to monetizing content through advertising deals, um, you know, it's something they're familiar with. So they're very happy to see that, right? And especially where OTT now is not just, you know, for a while it was second screen, which was the computer. It was third screen, which was mobile. 
Um, you know, but now it's, it's more and more smart TVs, you know, whether it's a smart TV app or, you know, a fire stick or, um, you know, Chromecast or something like that. Uh, people are viewing this, you know, in their living rooms on, on their TVs. Right. And so the ad placement dollars become a lot more attractive on a big screen than they do, uh, you know, in mobile and things like that. The CPMs are higher and the value can get, you know, from, from that side, from the business side as well, you know, there are ways uh, that have been being put in place in terms of like programmatic ad buying, much more intelligent targeted buying based on user data and things like that, which create a lot more value out of the ads. Um, but I think I think very much, and we're happy to do business and create this. This is one of these things, you know, I don't think it's a, a long-term window and I'm not sure the content owners or broadcasters that are creating this necessarily see that, but it is a gap. Um, that is a familiar user experience. It's a familiar business model for them. And then with these things and with the cost effectiveness of stringing these things together on a more personal level, it's also more attractive, right? It's your content. It's not. But uh, as a consumer, I often experience that there's too much content to choose from. What do I actually want to watch? So what's your thoughts and suggestion for the most or the best tailored content for the end user? What approach do you think the media industry should choose? Yeah, I think a lot of this will shake out. I think from an end consumer, at least from, and there'll be different attempts, you know, from from my perspective, I like, you know, I like TV, uh, you know, I, I like watching it when I don't like doing anything. I mean, I'm sad to be a TV fan. Um, <laughs> I, I admit some bad things about myself. Right? I'm, I'm lazy. I like to be entertained. I like to do it, you know, but I think, you know, with these different services, what was very easy, it's, it's you know, I have now... And I guess it's a it's a bit of a luxury problem, but I have like four or five different streaming services to go through to find the content. I right. Want, right. And I don't necessarily want to do that. Like nobody really wants to spend time looking for things. So, you know, where where we do well and our customers uh, put a lot of emphasis is on the curation side of it. Like, how do you feature content? Yeah. How do people with the knowledge of programming and things like that really drive content that's relevantly together and put those up for for the user. So how you curate it, how you showcase those in the application, um, and then how you can drive, you know, the, again, it goes, some of this goes to machine learning and AI, how you could drive those recommendations, um, you know, automatically, you mm. know, based on what mm. I'm watching, give me content that's interesting to me. And, and you know, it's, it's some of the user experiences that you've seen out there. They're just by genre types, right? Yeah. So, so you know, it's it's Halloween now. I like horror. I want yeah. to watch, you know. Yeah, but in terms of going back to like a linear TV approach with the more human curated content, yeah. uh, do you think that's a good solution for uh, getting rid of the problem with having too much content to choose from? Yeah, I, th I think it's one of the ways to do it. Is you know, if you can drive a linear channel that is interesting, or you know you can get people to watch it and be interested, you know, and it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be linear, even from a pure SVOD perspective where you're hunting down content, um, you know, just promote what's relevant to the user, you know, and some of the stuff you want to showcase like Netflix bought a title or they want to premiere something, right. They'll highlight it up in a carousel or something like that. So the elements to push it out there. Um, but I think there can be more intelligence in terms of what showcase, you know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, if I watch something about, you know, if I watch Black Mirror or something like that, I probably don't want to watch Storage Wars or something else that's recommended, right? Mm. I want to start to see the experience. Uh, I think 
the other challenge with all this content is, right, you're going across multiple applications, right? You don't have a common interface for all of this. Mm. And that's very much to do with the business side of it, right? Yeah. Different content owners, different broadcasters yeah. competing, you know, but from a consumer, I don't, you know, I like brands of content, perhaps like I like a studio that does things, you know, you know, my daughter likes Disney stuff yeah. and, and that'll be rele very relevant to her. But from my perspective, I don't, I'm, I'm less interested to go to, you know, all of one broadcaster's type of content, right? I, I, I just want to find what I can. So I think long term from a consumer basis, it just depends who drives it. From a consumer basis, you'd probably just want a single service where you could select what type of content you could get. You could get subscriptions to certain shows, you know, and do that a lot cheaper than you paid for in the KO package because there's a ton of content mm. you're never going to watch. Like I don't, you know, it's a very strange business model to be buying a whole bunch of stuff or selling a whole bunch of stuff that you don't want, right? So as you buy a Netflix package or Amazon, a lot of what you're paying for is content that's absolutely not relevant yeah. for you. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the reality of how the business is. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, the, the market will, will see a part of that, but from an end consumer, I think ultimately, and this is years and years from now, you'd want some single service where you could just create content packages. Yeah. That are very would that be you. possible in terms of like business models? Could we see that a uh, bigger um, streaming services would merge and to create one bigger platform? Yes. Is it actually possible? Yeah, I mean, so it is possible. You could f create aggregators that offer this. Mm. Um, you could create a service, you know, a common infrastructure, and then the different content owners uh, license out their content to there, and they get access to it. I think there's some fundamental challenges in the industry on the economics yeah. of that um, that need some of these other business models to to have it work together. You know, part of it is just the cost of making content, and you know, part of that goes to you know, if you want to make this more economic and make the the models work, the business models work better. I mean, part of the the money just goes to actor and actress salaries, right? Which are, you know, you have a couple like you look at it like an Avengers movie or something like that, where you have so many stars in there, each making five, ten, twenty million dollars. It's very hard to recoup that money in something that's not exclusive or something from you. So I think there's underlying factors and the whole content curation or creation business that kind of limit some of the options for the end consumer. Um, so let's just take it a little bit back to the more uh, basic uh, concept. So uh, what does actually the term linear digital mean? Yeah, so so linear digital is, is a, you know, just linear channel is traditional broadcast. You have a 24-7 stream. It's generally a blend of content the broadcaster owns, licenses, um, you know, first run content, reruns during kind of less convenient time slots. Uh, generally news, some sporting uh, games they have rights to. Right? That's your traditional linear broadcaster. In the U.S., we had NBC, mm. CBS, mm. ABC, Norway, we have NRK, TV2, and things like that. That's a traditional linear channel. To create those and to create play out, uh, to the scheduling piece of it, it's all using relatively expensive, um, you know, iron in your infrastructure, right? So these are big pieces of hardware. They're costly. Uh, they don't allow you to create, you know, hundreds or thousands of channels. Um, you know, with OTT and the streaming technologies that have come in, you now can do this in the cloud. You can mm. do the stitching, you know, in real time. You can blend various content types. You can create, and, and a lot of broadcasters in the U.S. are looking at this, you know, they want to create 
you know, a thousand channels, you know, rather than the one or two, you know, at a cheaper cost and creating these one or two channels, you create a thousand channels, right? And so you could create, you know, for Boomerang or Cartoon Network, you could create something seasonal or promotional or for a show or for Halloween and stuff like that. You throw it up there, you bring it up, and then you can bring it back down, right? So you have a lot more flexibility in terms of how quickly you can do it, how cost effectively you can do it. And, um, and obviously we go back to the fact that you can now tailor it towards the end user uh, likes and dislikes and hmm. make it more personalized. Okay, so let's get a little bit more nerdy. Uh, what's cooking in the tech sweet shop? What can our customers hope to see from Vimon in the months ahead? Yeah, uh, I think one of the big projects we've done, and it's probably such a non-appealing thing to talk about, you know, hmm. from a just a sizzle type thing, you know, we've, we've thought about this, we've thought about like who we are and where this industry is going. And we've, we've made some long-term decisions in our platform in terms of how we build it to scale. Right. So we look at, we have very big customers. We have people like iFlix that have, uh, you know, offhand, I mean, there's something like 25 million uh, registered users on mm. there, right. We have um, sporting events, you know, with TV2 in Norway, where we have Premier League soccer games or football matches, as, you, as we call it here, soccer in the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> it's all the same. Um, but you have very large volume. You have very peak, high peak concurrence, right? So we've spent effort and time to make our platform scalable. You know, we could be the platform. You know, as we talk about, like, what does the end user ultimately want? You know, in 10 years or something, like, we've designed a platform and architecture in the cloud that allows us to scale to, you know, to tens of millions or 20 millions or 30 millions, right? So it gives us this, this kind of broad platform that can really you know, scale up towards any type of volume, towards any region or country and handle that. Um, and obviously we're dependent on, you know, things like CDN, the content delivery networks, and, you know, we run this up in Amazon Cloud. So we're dependent on some of the server infrastructure there, but that continues to increase. There's some uh, rules that those will, you know, you the bandwidth will increase, 5G communications will roll out, so you'll have better end-user uh, bandwidth and that sort of thing. So you'll be able to hit more. So where I'm going with that, we've built a very scalable platform. We've done a very good job in terms of segmenting out our APIs, our different layers of the application mm. um, that allow us to plug into a broader infrastructure. It allows us to work with more partners, to use various other parts for encoding, transcoding, video flow, to do partners on the DRM side that allow front-end vendors to build to our APIs to create a lot of different services. We've also uh, done this in such a way that we are a truer SaaS. So for customers, it makes it a lot easier for them to turn it on yeah. and do this a lot quicker, turn on new channels, uh, turn on new services. And, yeah, and but do that's, does that apply to the whole VLAN platform or is it just uh, some specific products that has the SaaS solution? We've done it piece by piece. Mm. Overall, it'll be the whole platform okay, itself. Cool. And then the different products you know, will be subsets and different customers may use different elements of our platform. Mm. Um, you know, We have kind of two core areas. We have our core uh, OTT platform, which manages you know, the video pipeline, the content uh, orchestration, the curation, the monetization rules, uh, the metadata management. And then we have uh, our IO platform, which is equally built to scale, which is you know, a tool for storytelling uh, you know, in the cloud, for video editing, for post-production, for video workflow, for moving it uh, a lot quicker and things like that. So cool. We're seeing a, a lot of use on that. And I, th 
you know, one of the big trends we're seeing, you know, in broadcast, before I jump into what the product does, you know, we are seeing that uh, a lot of workflow is moving to the cloud. It's moving away from traditional broadcast equipment and, and um, where it's where it's been done, very kind of file-heavy workflows, very system-heavy workflows. People have been pinned to the desk. So what IO allows, you know, IO is a part of this, I guess, cloud or IP revolution in the broadcast industry. And what it is is a cloud-based video editor and video workflow uh, management tool. And so... You know, with IO, you can take live feeds, you know, at very high quality. You know, you can get 1080 uh, streams in there. You can get broadcast quality streams, you know, and ultimately it'll go, you know, to 4K and UHD, uh, 4K UHD and things like that. But so you can take that in real time. So you have a live event, a sporting event or breaking news or something like that. You can sit in the tool itself in the cloud, multiple people. You know, from a lightweight machine, you're not using uh, any specific hardware for this, and you can create live clips from an event that's happening. Once you've done that, um, you know, depending on what your workflow is, you can, you know, edit it together in the tool and create a story out of it, right? So if you're taking, you know, just just a sports example as a user that's using this, you you have, you know, the, the NFL season starting uh, in the U.S. this weekend, um, so you're going to have a lot of games. So you have the ability to take, you know, the best touchdowns, you know, the best running plays, the best passes, the best tackles, things like that. Capture that from a live source, edit it together very quickly in a uh, browser-based editing tool uh, into a coherent story. Um, you can adjust things like the audio tracks. You could do things like adding graphics on top of it, right? So you can say top 10 plays of Sunday, top 10 plays of the day, something like that. You know, you could create those. You could add some voiceovers, um, you know, apply the graphics. And then, you know, depending on distribution models, you know, the tool itself allows you to publish it very quickly to social. A lot of traffic feeding, you know, just a lot of things happen on social media uh, these days. A lot of horrible things, mostly. But <laughs> there's a, it's a great promotional tool for broadcasters for news and current events, right? So you can, you know, this is the top ten plays of the days, top ten touchdowns, things like that. You string it together and you push it out to Twitter, you push it out to Facebook, YouTube, wherever your eyeballs are, and you can draw them back into a service, right? And so you get that very quickly in real time as it's happening. Um, and then you're able to use the social platforms to really drive eyeballs back to the service or back to the core platform or just, you know, advertise for yourself yeah. or show, you know, what's happening in the league and, and use social through that. I think as we've started, you know, uh, approaching various broadcasters, news organizations and sporting organizations, we see that this tool provides uh, an effective way for just managing uh, video workflows, you know, very quickly in real time we're finding that it's replacing you know both a process of you know taking uh, video editing it together and traditionally that's done on a physical device like an avid system or something like that um and now you're able to do it in the browser you're do, able to do it quickly there's no file transfer there's no additional steps so you're saving time there but even you know of a live event or something that's happening, you're creating a archive of it, and that archive can then be pushed out to whatever data store in, in relative real time, as opposed to kind of more traditional physical workflows where you're actually taking a file, moving it somewhere, either physically or through some sort of FTP or process or something like that. 
Um, so it's just it, it's creating a lot of efficiencies within the broadcast workflows, and we're seeing uses both in uh, the content creation of these stories and these segments into something new, uh, but then also on the post-production side, yeah. right? So creating kind of very high-quality assets, moving them somewhere else within the ecosystem for later use, um, and doing that in a single tool in an interface. So we're just we're we're really opening up, uh, I think, a lot of different ways for broadcasters to do things quicker uh cheaper and in a single tool it's 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 going to save them a lot of time and money and i think a lot of where io will end up being over the next couple of years uh, we haven't quite thought through yet and it's being developed with the kind of customers that we're working with yeah. um we'll see a lot out of it you know it'll be i think we'll help revolutionize and reduce a lot of workflows um Perhaps we'll reduce jobs, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? It sounds bad when you say it, but I think we'll find ways to create efficiency so people can do other things. So. But you're talking about broadcasters using Vimanio, but what other sort of customers uh, is Vimanio relevant for? Yeah, I mean, traditional OTT providers, um, someone who is, uh, you know, using live streams and trying to trying to get those out to social. So mm. people that are very kind of heavy in the terms of so social workflow and that sort of thing is, is very appealing. Um, and, and, you know, the various news and sports organizations, whether you want to call them broadcasters or just services that have yeah. something live, that want to do something quickly and create very high quality content in a browser-based video editor and push it out there uh, very seamlessly. I think there's good adoption from them. Um, for that use. Why is, uh, or what is Vimon doing better than any other streaming or OTT company uh, in the industry? Yeah, I think, I think we've, you know, we, we talk about this a lot and we talk about kind of our broadcast background. Mm. We understand, you know, coming from TV2, coming from broadcast, I think we have a good understanding of what the operations are, what the various user roles within a broadcast operation, like how you actually program content, what the workflow is, what the mm. approval process is, how you can curate it, how you can manage it. Um, the rule sets around monetization, how we can make that very kind of easy and simple to do. I think that's where we really shine. You know, we're, you know, we were a broadcaster that built software to serve uh, our specific needs um, with TV2 Sumo um, and developed it from that. And a lot of, a lot of the other competitors, you know, they may have come from a technology background, they may have come from, you know, perhaps a CMS background uh, for a di very different space. Um, And so their approach and their mindset is just very different, right? We've created a platform, you know, for broadcasters, for operators, for aggregators, whoever it may be, that's designed to make it very simple to publish out content. Um, and, that, and that really differentiates it for us. Hmm. And I think, you know, I, I think the... The focus on architecture, the focus on scale, uh, the focus of ease of use. And we're exposing a lot of, you know, things that were for other for other competitors are kind of hidden in the background that are done that are more custom and one-off we're just exposing it as settings that customers can manage themselves and set up and we give them that control right it becomes you know a true SaaS and and perhaps some other um pass or some other acronym on there in terms of ease of use and and deployment in there so i think that's an area we we, we shine really well i think 
the whole idea of curation and programming and how we manage that and how we make it very simple, um, you know, to create playlists, to create UI elements that a front end can display to an end consumer, how we organize the content uh, really sets us apart. And it really it just understands, you know, where the industry was, what the roles were, and then where it's going to go, or where we want it to go and the consumers go. And obviously the industry itself will take mm. a lot of different tracks in getting there um but we've built for that uh for the end result i think very cool so ibc is coming up what do you think uh we can uh, expect to see in amsterdam you know i think this this the the virtual linear channels are popular and certainly in the u.s i think that's a, a thing we see other vendors talking about we see the broadcasters themselves talking about it there's going to be a lot of talk at ibc around all these streaming wars you know yeah. that made it to mainstream news right it's it's on cnbc it's on you know aggregators like drudge and things like that where this is now what everyone's talking about right everyone's trying to figure out you know do i buy this do i yeah. buy this uh, so there'll, there'll be a lot of talk about that. There'll be a talk about how niches fit in into that type of space. You know, are they going away or is there a way for relevant niche content to still be found in there? Um, you know, and, and the buzz changes, you know, about two years ago, there was everything was AI and machine learning. And yeah. then uh, a lot of the uses aren't aren't necessarily practical. And there's a lot yeah, of buzz around right. there. So I think on that side, you know, all that is dependent on how much data um, you can get from the user. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm, I'm, you know, I like the convenience of things, but I'm also very against giving up so much data. You yeah. know, I notice, yeah. I notice like if I'm using my iPhone and I, I talk about something to someone, I'll get an ad, you know, when I go on the website, exactly. right? So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a scary world that, you know, for, for people who value privacy and their own data, um, you know, so there's a lot of discussion around what kind of data can be used because mm. from a business perspective, mm. the more data you have, the better you can target exactly, it, the more yeah. relevant. So, so, but from the consumer, some of that is good and some of it's bad. Yeah, um, exactly. So the question might be how much data do you actually need to provide exactly. the best end user experience? Right. Um, so I think, you know, where... Where someone can do some of the machine learning application, where they can do it with a better abstraction mm. of the user from their data, or even with less data, where they're actually taking an understanding of the content, uh, an understanding, you know, what the director or the series is about, and what kind of concepts are in there, and use that to drive some of this personalization. I think that'll be very attractive. Um, but yeah, I think data is going to be continue to be a big discussion. Yeah. Obviously, as these linear channels take flight, and the commercialization or putting commercials back into some of these streams, the data is one of the big drivers in getting kind of the high value CPMs and the value on this. So um, that'll be interesting. Um, that'll be some of what's at IBC. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is a discussion, or again, around live, right? So yeah. where is live's, live's place around there? What is it that people want to see live, right? And, you know, and we talked about these virtual linear channels. I think that's a fit for a certain demographic and for a certain type and certainly for the broadcasters to monetize it well. But there are areas where live still makes sense, right? So news, um, how that becomes more relevant to the user, how that exposes itself in OTT services. Um, you know, we've seen people like CBS and do things like localization of news, right? So they yeah, have... Cool. Um, 
you know, they have, you know, in local New York uh, news, L.A., I think they're launching some other cities as well, right? So you're seeing that now, local news uh, and more regional news uh, emerging in these OTT platforms. Mm. Sports for us is always a huge driver. Um, you know, that's something we've been a, a big part of since the beginning and continue to be with our customers, right? People want to see sports. They're very interested in those. Those games are always going to be live, right? You don't, as a fan... You know, like as a fan, as most people, you feel, you know, I'm watching a Pats game or something like that. I feel I can, you know, like any other fan, you feel I can influence the pass or something like that. So you want to watch it in real time. Yeah. You don't want to have a delay there, right? So there's going to be a lot of improvements um, in terms of like live performance. So, you know, as far as the CDN infrastructure in terms of edge caching, edge caching in terms of lower latency, you know, you want everyone seeing the video in relatively close time. You know, you think about like the... The, uh, the apartment building experience, right? If everyone's streaming the same game yeah. on different services or at different times or some are watching it on TV, some are streaming it, um, and you're getting it a minute later, you'll hear like a, an applause or clapping or something like that. It's a big game. Yeah, you want the fireball effect. <laughs> yeah, you do, right? So you want everything to erupt at the same time. Yeah. You want everyone kind of feeling the same type of experience. As a fan, you want that because you feel engaged mm. and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think a lot of those technologies will start to come into play um, and, and the infrastructure required to make that uh, work and reduce that. And, you know, that's a matter of investment and a lot of technologies are already in place and it's a matter of rolling it out. Um, yeah. So I think that'll be something else that you continue to see in IBC. And, and you, you know, and I think that's a area we like, you know, a lot of our customers, you know, with with people like KO and KO in Australia, uh, Optus, um, TV2 included, and, and other of our customers, right? So live sport is a big part of their service, uh, is a reason that consumers are going to it. Um, yeah, it it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they can do it. I think, you know, we're kind of further down the road. I think everyone's looking at, like, how do we attract the super users, right? How do we give an experience to someone who's focused on a very specific sports, right? The nerds, the fantasy league people, the people who want to see, you know, certain players, certain um, certain games or something that want to drill down into it. You know, how can they make it more interactive? You know, is... Yeah. From a user experience, is like the, is the stats, is player information on the screen, on the TV, on, on the computer, is that relevant? Do you want to be able to, you know, you're watching watching hockey or something like that you want to see you know how has this player performed you know what is you know how many goals they have what's their historical totals you know how do they do against this team i think there's some relevancy around that in terms of adding to the user experience that you couldn't do on tv you know mm. there's been a lot of over the years there's been a lot of concepts around like interactive tv and just the technology didn't exist but there's some interest at least from super users in terms of getting more information and more data and, and a richer lived-in experience um, that you can get out of it. Very cool. Thank you very much, Stanerik, for joining this podcast. And we are really looking forward to the exciting future of the OTT industries. Very cool. Thank you for having me. This is great.